0: Chicago, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups, scale ups, and grown ups not suck at how they pitch themselves so they stand out to their audience and stand apart from the competition. This podcast is all about bringing you the hearts, the minds, and the stories of leaders in the startup ecosystem talking through the strategies they have deployed in order to build and grow their companies. And it's officially season 17 of the show and all season long we've got a special treat for you, bringing you guests exclusively from the Startup Hype Man client portfolio, giving you a piece of their journey. Before we begin, if you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And remember, you can catch all the episodes from our 17 season archive and learn how to pitch your startup at StartupHypeMan.com. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped because it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from New Jersey. And currently residing in San Antonio, Texas, he is the CEO of Searchspring. Please welcome Peter Massana.
1: Woohoo, goes wild.
0: No, you're definitely the heel in this. People are going to start booing you welcome everybody it is a brand new season of startup hype man the podcast and in this season our entire guest roster coming up this season are all different different clients present and past in the startup hype man portfolio so today we're featuring search spring and peter masana who startup hype man has been working with for over a year now to what peter i hope would say is better than mixed results (laughs) um and uh What we're going to talk about today is leading a team through a merger. Quick background on SearchSpring, um, leading company in the e-commerce space, specifically around shopper experience and making a site easier for shoppers to use and the retailers to have the site do what they actually want it to do. They've been around for over a decade. They're, They're held by a private equity company at this point. And our topic today with Peter, the CEO of SearchSpring is how to lead a team through a merger. Peter, Welcome. Why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, You know, mergers, I'm always asked, uh, you know, what's the most difficult thing you do or have done? And uh, if I'm just blindly asked, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? It's always uh, merge two companies. Uh, I've done it now twice. Well, two different companies, three times with Searchspring, but uh, a time before. Uh, And I've seen a lot of pitfalls and it's really, really difficult.
0: We're going to get a whole lot more into that as this conversation progresses. But first, let's learn a little bit more about Peter himself. Now, Peter, you told me before we started recording that you have lived all over the United States throughout your life. I think you said this is your 10th, San Antonio is your 10th or 11th um, city or state that you have lived in. Texas being the state, obviously San Antonio is not the state. (laughs) Um, with all of that activity, I'll tell you, I, I, somehow mysteriously, I have never lived more than 25 miles outside of where I was born and where I grew up. Um, and I've, I've got a lot of travel experience, but I've never, you know, li- I went to college in Chicago. I grew up outside of Chicago and I've lived in Chicago since. So with all that experience moving around in your life, what do you feel that has taught you about relationship building?
1: Uh, two things. Uh, one is it's, uh, it's really hard to build a relationship, the long-term relationship that's, that's everlasting when you only, when you're moving every two to three years uh, as a child. Uh, but it also teaches you how to make friends really quickly, uh, and adapt. Adaptability is for sure. You know, I just be dropped into any city and make friends right away and get a little tougher as I get older. It's way easier when you're little, but, um, but yeah, a little bit of a, a little Gumby, a little flexibility.
0: (laughs) Gumby, Gumby Gumby-like relationship building. I like that. How would you say that has then influenced the way you approach business? Not necessarily as a CEO, but I mean, obviously you didn't start on day one as a CEO in your career. But how do you feel that has shaped your mindset around business overall?
1: Uh, You know, I think it's kind of the same thing when you're starting at a new company. You got to You know, you got to come in. You got to be confident. You got to learn. Same thing when you move to a new city. It's it's you know not exactly the same thing, but it's all about you know kind of following a formula in a way. That sounds weird to say, but you know, you know, joining clubs or groups. It's the same thing as you know getting to know your coworkers. I don't think those two are very dissimilar from starting a new job. Um, Going through the same basic things of you know nobody. There's some clicks and there's always some level of clicks at a company.
0: Mm. Do you think that it is easier then to build relationships quickly if you have moved around, or do you think there's value to uh, you know staying in one place for a long time?
1: I didn't get to A-B test that, so I don't know. <laughs> I think I would have rather stayed in one place a long time. It probably would have been easier, but I didn't
0: have a choice. You went to college at University of Arizona. What did you study there? And did it ultimately impact what you're doing today with your work life? Absolutely. Uh, It did,
1: uh, to answer a short answer. But I studied entrepreneurship. uh, And then I got a second degree in finance. I started out in finance when I graduated. uh, But that didn't last very long. I didn't really like that all that much. Um, And then I ended up in... Uh, information technology IT, I was developer uh, for a bit, uh, and then ended up in management roles and, and moved around. But where it really did help, uh, you know, entrepreneurship was what I wanted to do. Since a little kid, I wanted to own my own soccer store. And uh, I ended up owning my own business, a kayak shop um, for about 11 years before we sold that. That we also merged a couple companies and we failed miserably at one of those mergers. Um, but, yeah, for sure it helped uh, understanding, you know, that, you know, what is a business plan and whatnot that you learn in, in entrepreneurship programs. Um, you're also sort of exposed to every bit of the business or you realize you have to you have to know everything. You have to know how to read a p You have to know what a marketing plan looks like, what the operations of a business means and, and
0: all that. You have had a pretty impressive career across several different organizations, including the Kayak company that you founded and then were able to sell. Talk to us about how the opportunity at SearchSpring came about and, and sort of your maybe like rise within the e-commerce world itself.
1: Yeah, I'll start at the back of, the back of that question is, uh, you know, I got into e-commerce and well, 1999 technically with Home Depot. I was helping build home Depot.com in the .com race to get a website up as fast as possible. Um, and then in uh, the Kaya Company in 05, we launched our website. That was my first my first direct e-commerce experience. Um, so I've been in e-commerce over 20 years. Uh, if you look at it that way, um, th- but that led me into Search Spring via path of when we sold the Kaya Company to Private Equity and I merged it with another company. That was the failed merge um and and then left a a year into that um i went to technology e-commerce technology because that's what i really liked i like e-commerce but i love technology so if i could do the two together that was perfect um that was not search it was a different company and uh i actually left there and was introduced to one of the general partners at ScaleWorks, which is the fund that owns us right now uh and just an introductory like meet and greet hey you should know these two people you two people should know each other um and they're like hey yeah we're working on this uh, deal we might be doing it's well it turned out to be search and i was like wow well, you guys know that's what i've been doing and what i love and so it it really was a pretty much perfect timing uh, it wasn't they didn't set out to seek me and i didn't even know that search was a thing um hadn't had never heard of them actually so yeah it was a happenstance
0: yeah Well, let's get it let's use that now to get into the main topic for today which is leading a team through a merger now oftentimes at companies when a ceo is brought in especially when there's a board running the show um there is a specific reason that they want to bring in that ceo because they're like hey these are this is the next set of goals for the company and we believe that this person is best to help us accomplish those goals What were the like, so take us back to those conversations. What did they say? Peter's the right person because we're trying to accomplish X.
1: Yeah. So I think what impressed them was I scaled a business from basically zero to 30 million. Um, And it's really, really difficult to scale uh, as you get to like zero to five is pretty easy, Uh, maybe even zero to eight. Uh, But then it gets difficult. Uh, And what gets difficult is you're adding uh, more people to the mix. Um, and more, you have to be better at so many more things. So you can't, you can't focus and be good at like one little thing and be successful. It's across everything, but it is really the people component that makes it the toughest. Um, you know, if I take search spring, when we acquired that, it was about 35 people. Um, we added Nexttopia about 35 people and we're at about 115 now. So we've added, you know, a net result of, I don't know what that comes up to 45 people. Um, that's the hardest thing is hiring good people uh, and then you get the watered down effect like telephone game so if I say I want X you know does X, Y, or Z get produced at the end it's really hard when you're small it's easy um, but when you're bigger it's you know you tell somebody something they tell somebody something and then what The you know you go to make pasta instead you get pudding um, mm-hmm. type of thing um, pasta pudding of course it'd be pasta pudding but uh, I think that's what impressed them was the that I scaled or figured out at least how to scale to, you know, there was 200 and something people, uh, 30 million. Um, yeah.
0: So SearchSpring acquires Nextopia, and you start at SearchSpring in the spring of 2019. SearchSpring acquires Nextopia, you know, about a year, maybe less than a year into when you are at, at the helm. What were, like, how did that conversation even come about in the first place, especially when? You know, you you were going head to head with Nextopia to win customers for so long. How did this idea of, well, maybe we should just become one company, even formulate in the first place?
1: Yeah, so it was actually much shorter than that. So uh, the next the search spring was right at the end of April, like I think the last day of April, and the Nextopia was July fifteenth. I think was the close date. So it was only it was really short. Um, We didn't go seek it. They they actually sought Scalework's Skelworks. purchased uh search spring and, and they came and said, Hey, we're for sale. Um, do you want to buy us? Um, so we acted really fast. Um, that was a, a, not a, not the preferred method. It'd rather be the other way around. Uh, but timing, we didn't get to dictate timing on that particular
0: other way around, meaning you go to them and say, we want to buy you.
1: Yeah. And, and be a little bit more in control of timing versus that quick. Um, yeah we didn't really know that much about search Spring at that time we were just like you know due diligence period and then two months into operating
0: Mm -hmm. okay so walk us through when you have a competitor who's like well we're for sale we want to buy or you know we want to get bought out and then you know you have this opportunity to buy their their company again they're a competitor so what level? Because uh, there's always I say this because there's always a chance that the deal doesn't go through, right? But in this process, like everyone's learning the other's financials, or at least you're learning all about their financials. So knowing that there's always that possibility that the deal might not go through, is there anything that either side is having to hold back in the process? Anything around like, you know, if this doesn't happen, then you know, you're not allowed to do this for X many months or, or, or anything around that to like protect one side or the other. Yeah, we
1: didn't have anything in there that would be wise to stick, uh, you know, some anti-competitive, you know, pills in there. Uh, if, if one walks or penalties, uh, I think these are fairly relatively small. So you're not going to see poison pills and stuff like that to get injected into these processes. Um, but you are right, you know, it is dangerous for, in this case, this was for Nextopia because we got to see all their information. We got to know everything they were doing. Um, we got to see customer lists. Um, I, I'm, I assume inside of our, I'd have to go back and look. I assume inside the NDA, we probably were not allowed to actually go call those customers directly. Um, so there's probably some protections put in place um, on at least their current customers. But yeah, we could learn everything about their process, what they do, their go-to-market strategy how much you're spending on marketing, where they're spending it and, and turn around and say, "Yeah, we're not interested and then rejig our efforts. I'd um, be kind of shitty as somebody, but uh, I wouldn't do that. Not on purpose, not going in on purpose. If the deal fell apart, then yeah, I guess I have that information.
0: When you're looking at the balance sheet and just the overall assets of the company, what are some of the primary factors you're looking at. And I'm sure it's going to be not just like revenue, but you know, what's your actual profitability and things like that. But I assume there can be cases where companies have a high revenue, maybe a decent profitability, but then there's some red flag. Maybe they own some asset that's just like hemorrhaging money out of the company. So what are some of those top things you would say went into your consideration to say, this is a really good purchase for us?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it can vary depending on industry as to what you're gonna look at. Um, you know, in in the SaaS industry, yeah, you're looking at growth rate, you're looking at churn, <coughs> excuse me. You're looking at growth rate, you're looking at churn, uh, you're looking at the expansion or network, re- overall net retention revenue, NRR, um, you know, which is your churn uh, minus your expansion um, over the entire base. You want that to be a positive number. Um, or over a hundred percent, you know, but you're also evaluating, you know, is is it a viable business are they actually collecting cash is the cash in the bank? Can you trace it back? Uh, You know, what are the subscriptions? Uh, You know, it's very dangerous Uh, annual subscriptions, but you don't know, are they renewing? Monthlys are easy, because they're paying every single month. So you kind of know that customer's vested is, is paying every month. So they have, they have a reminder every month, but the annuals you worry about, um, you know, that's, that's comes down. You know, that on the balance sheet's deferred revenue. So, all that is deferred revenues. The higher the deferred revenue, the higher the risk of the business. Um, you don't want a lot of deferred revenue. Um, you just don't know that that will continue forward. Um, yeah. You know, and then the other, the most important part when you're evaluating people side of things does that have the people to run it? What do you gonna have to do if it doesn't? Um, those are probably the biggest things we looked at.
0: Let's transition then and talk about the, the people side of it and the leadership aspect of it. But Before we do, I just want to talk to our listeners for a moment and, and kind of ask them, have you ever found yourself in a situation where Google Analytics just isn't providing what you need from it? I know I'm in that camp where I'm constantly finding myself in situations where the Back end of my site, I'm looking at GA and I'm like, well, I don't know, these numbers don't look like they're accurate. Something's missing here. And then when it comes to understanding where and why I lose site visitors, that's like, it's hard to straight up impossible. Because with GA, there's always some type of integration issue or I got to sort through a mountain of data just to figure out what's causing leads to drop off. It's a kind of a living nightmare in many cases. And that's why I was super excited to learn of a better way to measure website analytics, and that's Oribi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without using code. Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns build smart funnels as a result, and then get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. So finally, you can understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more, which means no more blind spots on your site. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot slash today. And I'm very excited to have them as a partner of the show this season. And they've been awesome. And they've, they've got a coupon code for all of you. Use coupon code HYPEMAN at checkout. HYPEMAN for 20% off at checkout. And again, the link is oribi, oribiio slash today. Use promo code HYPEMAN for 20% off at checkout. Today, I'm with Peter Masana, the CEO of SearchSpring. And we're talking about how to lead a team through a merger. So before the break, there Peter talked about the people aspect of it, and I wanna I wanna learn a little bit more now. You know, when when the deal was finalized, what was the messaging strategy to the respective companies? Were you the one who sent an email to the Nextopia side, or were the Nextopia CEO send to their side? How did you think through? Here's how we're gonna tell our companies what's going on.
1: Yeah. So this was a little bit uh, different than know, yeah, Well, each each merger will be different, but uh, we, we chose that at the time before telling the either base, either set of employees, uh, that we were going to run these independent. As mentioned earlier, we were only two and a half months into running Searchspring. We hadn't really decided on um, who would, the actual output company was going to be. Was Searchspring going to be the go forward? Was Nextopia going to be the go forward? So we kind of treated these like we bought two independent companies and we'd run them mostly independent. Um, so the messaging changed because of that slightly uh, than what you would normally do. Um, so yeah, my messaged t- internally to the search bring that, that this acquisition was happening, uh, that you know, we were not merging the two together right away, we were gonna spend some time to evaluate. And then on the other side, the, the CEO did the announcement, the outgoing CEO uh, did the announcement to his company uh, in person, uh, we were all in person in 2019 still. So it worked out a little easier. You know, they are in Toronto and I'd flown up there the day he announced it to them I had met with his uh current leadership team outside the office the morning before the announcement so that I could you know meet and greet uh then we did the announcement and uh as you do with anything to make friends you have a happy hour afterwards so uh and answer really you brought bagels when
0: you walked in that morning
1: <laughs> well I you know we did the announcement in the afternoon so we could okay <laughs>
0: Okay, can you then, Can you now uh, explain? You know, you, you do this trial period for several months. How do you decide Search Spring is going to be the prevailing brand here and we're going to sunset the Nextopia name and brand?
1: Yeah, we probably only went, made it to like two months before we'd internally decided what we were doing. Uh, most of that decision came down to uh, which team. Is that it, which team is is at a greater risk if they leave based on our decisions? Um, so once we had decided that the SearchSpring tech stack was going to be the the go forward, then that team is now the most important team. Um, so by choosing the SearchSpring brand in this case, uh, you know they're they feel like they've made the acquisition. Uh, they, you know they're a little happier about it. Um, you know, alternative is to go with a, a you know a new brand. We could have just gone a completely new brand uh you know called it next spring um or Searchtopia, or some corny name and uh try to make everybody happy but uh we did also feel that the search spring brand had uh, a bit better brand appeal on the market um though i argued Nexttopia was a nebulous term and nebulous terms get opens up the market bigger search spring is telling you it's search uh and we're more than just search uh, that is our primary but um but yeah, I know that's how it went in. It was, it, that was the basis. The second part uh, was that their employment reviews on Glassdoor weren't very good at Nextopia. And if you're trying to hire a bunch of people uh, that was going to be a red flag. So if you're trying to scale a bunch of people that's not going to help you. Those are, you can overcome those. Um, Glassdoor is kind of a disaster in and of itself, but um, yeah, there's a lot of games being played on highly positives. So there's always a, a bit of a, a dilemma, but that was that was a secondary. But the, out,
0: but the outsider doesn't know that, right? They're not looking at that, saying, "Oh, this is gamed." No, you you
1: wish they knew. But <laughs> wow, that company has a negative review followed by a positive review every time. That's not
0: weird. <laughs> okay, so you, you 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 look at the tech stack. You look at which team is most likely to leave and like that would hurt us if we make this decision. You look at the overall brand equity and then you also factor in employee reviews. Is there anything else in that lineup that you're looking at to say, well, we need to consider this part as well? Uh, not really when we were just choosing the brand
1: from the, the external facing um... No, that was pretty much what we thought about. I mean, there were other things that had to go into play on the backside, like, you know, which team is better at X and, and do we use their process or the other one's process? Uh, but choosing the brand is sort of agnostic to like, are you going to use Salesforce or are you going to use HubSpot, which those decisions we had to make because we were split between them. Those are all operational back end operational tactics that didn't matter The the logo or the colors.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes when there is a merger or an acquisition, um, you have some backlash from either the company who's doing the acquiring, but also you could have a, a, a backlash from the other side from who you know who got acquired or whose brand got sunsetted. Did that happen in this case? Was there any backlash, like any any, any nasty emails that were sent to you, anything like that?
1: No, no, because I think the way we approached it by running them independent and buying some time, I, I think that probably took that away. Because if I back up to uh, the earlier acquisition that I said was a failed one, it's where we mashed two equals together and the acquiring company uh, actually ended up with me as the CEO. And then there was massive backlash. Like, why are we doing it your way? We don't want to do it your way. Uh, we didn't have that here because it was each are running independent. So they each continue to do it their way. Uh, now we did get the backlash uh, when we finally internally said, this is what we're doing. We're we're only going to sell one product. We're only going to sell one way. Um, but I think because we bought enough, I think time, it wasn't like a knee jerk at the time of acquisition and they understood and they saw the success those things were having. I, I think that minimized the backlash. I'm not saying that this is the right way to go about an acquisition. This what we did was due to timing. I, I would have much rather have loved to have done it all at the time of close, to be honest. Why is that? Yeah. Because you left people in a limbo state and uncertainty, uh, you know, a little jockeying going on that doesn't need to happen. Um, I think probably a bigger bang in the market too, if, if at the time it was, you know, here it is um, selfishly, because that would have been in August of 2019 and not announced in February 15th of 2020 t- t- for a pandemic to destroy all conferences that was supposed to be all the all the announcements and all the rage. So I think that, can hindsight's 2020 on that one.
0: <laughs> uh, quick quick sidebar question is it really a branding play to decide whether it's going to be outwardly labeled as a merger versus an acquisition or is there something in the financials that dictates what it has to be called
1: nah I think it doesn't matter I mean, usually are saying merger if it's like you're merging equals acquisition or if you're acquiring uh, smaller um, that's usually at least how I interpret those labels when I see them um, so, yeah, that's why these, we we merged two, and, and they were the exact same products. Um, so it, it, you know, we ended up going on and acquiring Fortel uh, last July, and that to me is a full acquisition. We 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 bought it. Uh, we had you know fully rolling it in. There was no, no merging of the two from an external standpoint.
0: Sure. Now, when you have a big event like this, you know, I think in. It really is a chance to hit the reset button uh, you know, on both companies. Is that do you view it as that? And if so, you know how how do you feel you went about resetting company expectations from that point forward?
1: Yeah, you definitely hit the reset uh, because everything's from that day that you blast. I called it the one t-shirt, one team, one product. Like from that day forward, you're all now beating to the one drum. Um, and, and gave us the chance to change things uh, that Search Spring, even though we were selling Search Spring, um as the product. Um, you It know, gave us a chance. We changed the sales processes. We changed uh, the backend operations. So it gives you the opportunity. And now you can do that anytime you want, but this is just a great way or great timing for like, this is what we're going to change. We're going to change our marketing messaging. So we changed all of our marketing uh, messaging around. Um, so it, it gave a nice project that everybody could shoot for like this one day we want all this stuff done
0: i'll tell you in my own employee experience years ago when i worked at a company um yes there was a point in time where i i worked at a company (laughs) uh i i was there and i think on my second week we acquired a data company and then during my time we acquired i think three more companies and they were all smaller than we were uh, and then ultimately my last year there we a private equity group acquired you know the entire thing each time i remember when new employees came in it was, there was like initial excitement and like a desire to like let's welcome them into the family that kind of thing but at the same time there was this like wait you mean you don't have like this set up like how did you how did y'all even operate that kind of thing um, what do you feel was the sort of like sentiment from one side to the other in terms of you know welcoming them in and, and and being able to really execute on that whole you know one T-shirt, one team, one goal?
1: Yeah, I think with the Nextopia, it was interesting because a lot of them knew each other. Um, both companies have been around a long time. They see each other at trade shows, um, so there was some common ground already established Um, there definitely was a lot of why do you do it that way what you crazy what you guys are nuts no wonder you couldn't outsell us that was always that was always the best one (laughs) no wonder why we beat you um that was both sides they were actually (laughs) almost winning 50 50 when they went head to head um and a third of the leads were 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 common or shared across the two so um but yeah i think that was probably and if I look at that, so it wasn't like open arms, and I don't think it was the same feeling for it. Because if I look at the Fortel acquisition last year, which we acquired, and also acquired uh, with that, there were only like seven employees, are much smaller. Um, but that was a huge welcome to the family. You know, now they've asked a lot of things like, "You do what?" You know, when when you're a really small company, your processes are somewhat honed down, honed in, and and maybe arguably better. And as you get bigger and you have bureaucracy and layers and things that that uh, happen so um but yeah we had i had it saw two different
0: ways there when you essentially then double in size as a company you mentioned earlier well now the decision-making process kind of changes but from a just from a ceo perspective are there things that you intentionally start doing differently as a leader that maybe you know when you're a smaller company, perhaps there's things you don't even think twice about, or um, perhaps there are processes that you don't have in place. So what's the difference then when your team doubles in size pretty much overnight?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much that, that is different. One is I brought an entire leadership team that was mostly external. Uh, people I worked with in the past, people I hadn't, um, you know, so that to the employees is a big change because suddenly, you know, the, the you know, very flat organized, they were both very flat organizations. So the you know, CEO had, you know, 10 people reporting on each side. Well, I wasn't going to have 20, that'd kill me. So, you know, I needed layers. And I think the layers is, is the big change, um, you know, because that, with that comes structure. It also comes opportunity because now you're building layers and you have a uh, you know, a, a place for people to get promoted to um, and, and large affords that, which is large and growth affords growth of individuals. Um, but yeah, that's probably the big, you know, and trying to put structure in place, trying to have more structured meetings, um, you know, all the, as you grow, you know, process and communication are the two toughest things. So yeah, doubling overnight, you know, doubling overnight, you uh, Two different countries, you know, one's in Toronto, one's in Denver. So yeah, you're trying to trying to work a solid communication structure. I think
0: communication was probably
1: what we focused on most.
0: Did you find then your hours worked per week jumped as a result?
1: I don't know, not per se. Uh, I did have the luxury of that I just did bring in an entire management team that was either just before the merger or just after. So I did get to delegate off a bunch. Um, I work a ton. That's why I chuckled, because I don't know if I could add more work to my days um, without probably being killed by my family.
0: (laughs) My final question here before we begin our wrap up, there is always going to be some level of employee attrition with a merger or an acquisition. Some people are like, peace, I'm out. This is not what I signed up for. or This is a good chance for me to go leave and do something else. And there are also people who are like, I'm all on board with this. And then I think there's a middle ground of people who are like, let's see how this plays out. For the uh, the employees who stay, how long do you kind of like, mentally give them to like get on board with the new vision the new direction before you actually have to say have a conversation with them about letting them go
1: yeah we i mean one good thing we had going for us is we were growing pretty fast at the time you know we're we're accelerating growth at the time and grew fast post both so we weren't in a uh, cost savings, like let's acquire and, and figure out, you know, the overlap and, and start removing people just due to uh, redundancy. We didn't have a lot of redundancy. So we weren't in a position as a company that, you know, post acquisition, you know, we're going to cut 10 jobs or add acquisition for that matter. Um, we, we weren't in that sort of position. So we knew we had enough seats around the table to fit everybody from the team. So it did come down to, you know, who's on board with what we're going and, and the path we're going. Um, people do self-select out. They just, they leave. Um, you know, I think since we did formally end up merging them together and, uh, just before the pandemic, we probably have some muted statistics because, uh, I don't think people were willing to leave in 2020. Uh, our turnover rate in 2020 was like 10% or something tiny. Um, and, uh, so I'm not sure I have a, a real picture as to what that nat with the regular attrition, not the, the forced attrition. Um, but yeah, you give somebody as long as it takes before you're, you know, basically at the end of the rope of like, you're not getting on board, it, you know, you, you need to find something else. Is there a different job in the company is there a different, you know, or do you just need to move on? Um, I'm pretty self-aware or tried to be, uh, that people need to leave for a reason and it's actually could be positive for them and positive for us. Um, and and like to rather rather than be surprised. Actually, just posted this last week. Yeah, you know, no, nobody should ever be surprised when somebody leaves because you should have had conversations that you knew that they weren't happy and and uh, you know, they should feel that they can express that. So as long as you're having those open conversations, it's pretty easy to tell somebody. This, I mean, I, there's one particular employee I know I spoke with, and I said it's it's not going to be what it used to. I can't make it do that anymore. Um, it just that that chip's gone. If that's what you really need, then this isn't it, and they moved on. Um, you know, in a month or two later on their own. Um, you know, the same thing happens though with growing companies, to be honest. Uh, as the company grows, you're not part of all the decisions. You're not, you're not in the know uh you feel like you, you used to do that job as part of your job now somebody's hired to do it and your job is now a slice of the pie and not the whole pie or or maybe it's a, a third of the pie instead of two-thirds of the pie um and the same same thing happens with those those individuals that does with a merger it's yeah do you, does the company outgrow you uh you yeah or do you outgrow the company? I guess those are two reasons why you leave uh, a company, or one of two reasons why you leave or two of some reasons why you leave. But um, yeah, I think I answered your question.
0: Let's go ahead and begin our wrap up. Where can our listeners get in touch with you, Peter, and also learn more about you and SearchBrain?
1: I mean, the the obvious place would be, uh, just email me at searchbrain, peter at searchbrain.com. Sign up for my blog on the website. It's a great place. I write a weekly blog. I write about all random topics, e-commerce, leadership, uh, whatever's on my mind. Um, they are written by me. Uh, Marketing is allowed to fix misspellings. They're not allowed to add com- They're not allowed to add commas. They're not allowed to stop run-on sentences. Um, and then on LinkedIn uh, as well. Uh, P Masana
0: on LinkedIn. Yeah, and the hashtag CEO Peter that you've been uh, hyping up for quite a while now.
1: Yeah, I uh, I learned it from uh, that I should hype things up from the hype man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Peter, who's one person who you want to shout out? This could be a coworker, a mentor, an advisor, a friend, a colleague.
1: Yeah, I mean, I probably now go my default would be my father. Uh, you know, he was uh, he was my mentor growing up. Uh, he really helped me when I had the first business and uh, taught me a ton. Unfortunately, passed away ten years ago next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, he definitely was the the one that could, uh, steer me straight. I've been zigzagging a bit over 10 years, I
0: guess. Let's do our final takeaways now. So our topic today was leading a team through a merger. I'll go first then I'll talk, I'll I'll toss it over to you. I think one of the biggest things I pulled out of this conversation was when you're making the decision of what company should prevail or, or, or should this actually happen? Uh, you mentioned you know, which team is at greater risk if the decision we make means we lose them and, and that team is valuable. And some of those things you mentioned that go into that is the tech stack, the brand equity, the employee reviews, right? Which of those is at greater, like wh- is the company at greater risk if we don't consider those things? So that, I think that was really huge for me. Peter, on your side, what are your top one or two lessons or takeaways for the audience?
1: It's really, really difficult, um, and to expect the unexpected, uh, e- even where you think that a person or a team that the, it's a benefit or a positive, uh, be, you'll be surprised. Some somebody's going, somebody's gonna, going to going uh, to zig while well, you're zagging, and you're going to get caught uh, in, a, in a sort of a crisscross. Um, So nothing goes to plan.
0: My final question, which is how we end every episode on this show. Fill in the blank, Peter. Entrepreneurship is blank. Fucking difficult. Say more on that.
1: Uh, It's just really tough. Uh, You know, when you have your own, uh, it's all you. If it's true entrepreneurship and you're the sole owner, um, you know, you're making all the decisions, uh, you know, you're building something that's never been done before, potentially, or you're building something and you want to do it your way. It just takes a lot of hard work and, you know, to, to persevere on the other side. It's just really, really hard. Um, I'm, I'm always asked because I did on my own and I sold it in you know, entrepreneurship. Like, would you do it again? And, and frankly, I don't know if I would right now start something. I'm, I feel like I don't have the energy because you have to have that energy and that passion. Uh, I, I don't know if I could do it uh, I don't know if I could you know 80 90 hours a week of of going I'm not sure I, I also don't have a great idea so if somebody has a great idea maybe tell me and I'll go run with their great idea but uh, that's you can find me at peter at searchbring.com for that with that great idea that'd be awesome I um, probably shouldn't send it to my work one so I shouldn't be moonlighting here but uh, search can launch your great idea there we
0: go He is Peter Massano, the CEO of SearchSpring, kicking off a brand new season of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. And again, all this season, we're featuring different clients in the Startup Hype Man portfolio. Peter, it's been a pleasure to work alongside you for the last one plus year. And I look forward to more. Thank you for being a guest today, kicking off our new season on Startup Hype Man, the podcast.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, you and uh, Startup Hype Man is... uh, really helped us. So I appreciate that as well. Thank you.
0: That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and leave a rating and review in your podcast app or do us one better. Hit the share button, send this episode to one friend who you think needs to hear it while you're on your way out. Don't forget to follow startup hype man on Instagram and LinkedIn at startup hype man. And remember, you can also connect with today's guest as well. They left their contact info. They love hearing if what they shared helped you in any way. StartupHypeMan.com is the place to catch the full 17-season archive and learn all about how to pitch your startup. We'll see you next week, but until then, stay hyped. Raj Nation out.